Philippians 4, verses 1 through 9. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and my crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. I entreat Euodia and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yet I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you've learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. The God of peace will be with you. We've had quite a week, haven't we? Anybody read the news this week? If you can call it that. I mean, we had a pipe bomb guy. You know, sent at least 11 devices out, probably more. You know, what I love about this is Instead of the news treating this as some manifestation of all of the tension and anger out there, they're pointing fingers. Oh, this guy, he said this man was his father, so it's his fault. Oh, no, 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 it's not, it's not his fault, it's, it's, it's their fault over there. Okay? And, and so nobody's really dealing with what the problem is is that everybody's angry, and it, it feeds this sort of thing. And as a prime example, we have this tragic occurrence in Pittsburgh. Somebody walks into a synagogue and fires everything up. Eleven people are dead so far, and we politicize it. Oh, the president said they should have been armed. Oh, that's not right. It's about gun control. It's about this. And there is so much tension out there that, yes, these things are starting to pop up. How do we deal with this? More importantly, how does the church deal with it? What's what's our call in this? Do we join in the fray? Oh, no, no, they're wrong over there. Well, I think, I think we might have the answer. You know, we, we've been on this track with this series in prayer. You know, this is our eighth installment. But on the first installment, we, we kind of posed the question. We all know we're supposed to pray. Uh, we all have a way that we pray. Some of us have a time where we pray, so on and so forth. There's a lot of different ways. Uh, but uh, the, the, the way most people pray is we, we go to God with our list of things we'd like him to do today. 
Uh, and, you know, there, there's nothing wrong with that. We're supposed to take our supplication to him. That's fine. That, that's fantastic. I believe God is blessed when we go to him and when we ask for things. I'm not sure he's always blessed in the way we respond to the way he answers. Uh, but I believe God wants us to take our wants and our needs and our, our heart's desires to him. But the question we asked in that first sermon was, could there be more? What if there's more? What if there's a deeper prayer life? What if there's something more profound that God is calling us to? What if our prayer life had more substance than, okay, here are the things I need, now I'll wait for you to meet them. Well, that was an interesting question. We found out there was more. And so in part two, we asked the question, what does more look like? Well, more looks like a prayer that is oriented on the glory of God and the nature and character of God and, and uh, how that nature and character inhabits our prayers and moves us along the road to sanctification and moves us along this idea of being his witnesses out in the world uh, so, that, so that the church can be a representative of God to a lost world that needs help. I mean, we see it every day, don't we? There is more, so that we can become the expression of the gospel we're called to be. Well, that sounds like a pretty hefty charge. And in part three, we find out that we're qualified. We don't have to work ourselves up to it. We don't have to go to a class to learn this, that God has put us all together because he's given us all part of this This. Uh, idea of being messengers of his, of being vessels of grace and love. He's given us all a part to play, uh, and we're already qualified. We're already equipped. We just have to walk in the part we've been given. You know, talking about stories in the park. We, you know, we, we want to be a representation of the gospel. People think that, oh, I got to go down to the park and talk to people about Jesus. Well, that would be fine. Maybe that's not your gift. Maybe your gift is to stay here and pray. Maybe your gift is encouragement. Maybe, maybe your gift is cooking. Maybe your gift is logistics and arranging and so on and so forth. We need all of you because God has put us all together to do this together. And we're qualified. We're already equipped. You don't have to go outside of your area of gifting. You just have to function within it. So we're qualified. God has made us ready. Well, we're not really comfortable with that all the time. So we addressed a tough issue in, in part four and part five. Is God sovereign or do we have free will? And in part one of that mini-series, the answer we found out was what? Yes! <laughs> God is sovereign, and we do have free will. Okay, so we can just kind of relieve that tension right there. Both of them exist, but we're not totally comfortable with that. We want God to conform to our idea of who he is. God needs to make sense to me. God needs to appeal to my reason. Except the word tells us that God is sovereign and we have free will. So the second part of that series, part five of our overall series, said, ask this question, will you allow the word to change you or will you change the word? Will you accept what God says about himself, what he calls us to do, or will we try to get the word to conform to our understanding? And the only way we can do that, if, if we're going to be sincere in that effort, is to disregard part of it. Take the parts we like, reject the parts we don't like. Everybody does that. We want the whole thing. 
We want to see the majesty of God. We want to see the transcendent nature of who our God is, that he is bigger than we can possibly imagine, that he is greater than we can possibly imagine, that he is more wonderful, more awesome, more supernatural, more miraculous, more transcendent than any of us can possibly think. So, yes, God is beyond our reason at times. There are certain basics that we all understand. God's not always mysterious, but you know what? Sometimes he is. And if we're patient with that mystery, if we're patient to pursue it, we may not be able to resolve it, but we will get a peek, a glimpse of the glory of God. It's like you lift a little, little bit and this blinding light comes on. You go, ah. So God is sovereign. We do have free will. And if we understand that, if we see the glory, you go to part seven, you find out that the church collectively has power. A power. Oh, we all want power. I mean, that's what all the tension's about these days, isn't it? The power we have is a little bit different. It's the power to change. The power to transform comes from the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit in us, pouring through us, working through us all together to watch lives change, to hearts be made new, to, to tongues and minds being renewed. The church has the power of the gospel. And that took us right into number seven. If we understand all of this, we understand that we're better together. We're just better together when we're all exercising our gifts. We're all working as one. And you know what? That's not just us. It's not just Warrington Bible Fellowship here. Yes, we're better together. We've been assembled into this body for this particular reason, but we're just part of the bigger body of Christ. For all those churches that call on Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, we're all representatives of the gospel. We're better together there, too. That means we can't get mad at the people down the street that are practicing some minor point of doctrine that's different than us. We may not be worshiping with them on Sunday morning, but I'm going to tell you something. If they're saved, we're going to spend eternity with them. We better get used to it. I don't think there's going to be an orientation class in heaven where you go, okay, let me tell you whoever's right here and who was wrong, because you people who were wrong are going to have to adjust your thinking a little bit. All the Pentecostals will go with them. That would upset some folks, wouldn't it? <laughs> so we're better together. And we found out that as we realize we're better together, that the church needs prayer. We need to be praying for the church. We need to be praying for stories in the park. We need to be praying for each other. And as we do that, because we are all members of the church, we're praying for each other. We're praying for ourselves. What do we pray? Well, that's kind of what we're talking about today. Oddly enough, the, today's sermon is called Rejoice. And here, here's the lesson that I want you to learn. Prayer. Prayer can solve any conflict. We're talking about tension. What's the answer to the tension today? It's prayer. Prayer can solve any. You watch, you watch as we walk through this passage and see if you don't agree with me when we're done. 
sermon is Rejoice, part eight of Prayer Without Ceasing. Now, Paul rolls all this out by starting out by presenting a problem, one that we have all experienced. Maybe some of us are experiencing it right now. Uh, The church has experienced it. We've experienced it personally. Um, But Paul is going to present this problem, and then he's going to tell us what to do about it. And and watch how this plugs into what's happening today. So, uh, in verses 1 through 3 of our passage today, we're going to see tension. Verses 1 through 3, tension, uh, conflict. In verses 4 through 7, we're going to see intention. We're going to see that there are things that we have to intentionally do to deal with the tension that exists. And in verses 8 and 9, we're going to see retention. See what I did there? I get more excited about this than you do, don't I? Yeah. (laughs) Okay. So we're going to retain those intentional things that we're called to do. So let's take a look at our tension in verses 1 through 3. Now we have to understand what's going on here, what's happening in, in the letter to the Philippians. In chapter 3, Paul has just called upon the church to imitate him as he imitates Christ. Now, he, he's not putting himself up as a spiritual giant. All Paul is saying is, I'm doing my best to follow Christ. Paul is very honest with himself and with the people around him in other writings that he's not always real good at that. He's not perfect yet. But he's saying, I'm doing all I can to be like Christ. I'm doing all I can to portray Jesus Christ, his character and nature, his gospel to the world. Follow me. Do what I'm doing. Let's all imitate Christ, is what he's trying to say. Now, and he says this in verses 14 through 17 of chapter 3. Uh, 14, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. That's his priority. That's his goal, Jesus Christ. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we've attained. He said, remember what we've been taught. Just put it into play. Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. So he says, follow me. I'm following Christ. And he ends chapter 3 with this in 20 and 21. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. So Paul says in chapter 3, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Watch those who are doing the same thing, follow them, and keep in mind that our citizenship is not here on earth. It is in heaven. We're already united with Christ, and we're participating in this down here, but we are citizens of heaven. So that leads to chapter, verse 1 of chapter 4, where he says, therefore, he says, because we're called to imitate Christ, because we are already united with him, because we are citizens of heaven, therefore, my brothers, watch his wording here, we use the word anthropos, uh, it's collective, it's, it, you could just as easily have said, my brothers and sisters, whom I love and long for. So he expresses this unity he has with them. You're my brothers, you're my sisters, I feel one with you, I love you, I miss you. Look at the encouragement Paul is giving us here. Look at what he's doing. He's, he's, just, he's just pumping them up. He's 
pointing out uh, the attributes of Christ that he sees in them. He's pointing out those things that make him love them. So we see this testimony of the Philippian church right here that Paul just loves them. They're getting it right. Saying, I'm proud of you. I miss you. You're in my thoughts. You're, we're one with each other. So he's not chastising them. He's building them up in love. And he says, you are my joy and my crown. You bring me happiness. You bring me blessing. Uh, I am proud of you. I'm proud to have you on my head. I'm proud to be part of what you're part of. He says, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. Stand firm thus, thus what? Because they're all citizens in heaven. Because they're all called to do the same thing. Imitate Christ and follow after him. And he, follow, and he finishes up with my beloved. So he sets this stage for, gosh, I just really love you guys. You're on my mind all the time. I'm so proud of what you're doing. You know, you're reflecting Jesus Christ. Then he mentions a problem. And this is what happens in verse 2 and 3. And, and so he gives them a current situation to which they can apply this teaching of following Christ and imitating him and being citizens of heaven. Follow Christ, imitate him. You're citizens of heaven. I love you. We're all one. I entreat Iodia and Syntyche to agree in the Lord. These women are arguing. We don't know what they're arguing about. Okay, we, don't, we really don't have the slightest idea other than Paul brings it up and he wants them to encourage Yodia and Syntyche to agree. They're not agreeing. Agree in the Lord. He's not saying bring them to a consensus. He's saying put their eyes on Christ first, okay? Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side. Now, that phrase, side by side, is pregnant with meaning, to coin a phrase, okay? What Paul is saying is these women need help uh, and that they have been part of the ministry. Uh, uh, the literal translation here is they have fought with us as equals. None is lesser than the other. We don't determine which one is the winner. We don't look down on them. Sometimes we do that, don't we? Sometimes we see people that aren't getting along and we kind of look down on them and think, well, you know, they really ought to be better Christians than that. But neither do we look down on them because they're arguing, nor do we look down on them because they're women. They're working side by side. And he goes to a great length to do that because he says, with me in the gospel, together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. What he's saying is, you know, encourage these women, pull up alongside them, show them Jesus Christ, their fellow workers, we're all going to heaven together. Treat them eternally. Look at them as sisters in Christ. Don't go in to correct them. Don't go in to make them right. Show them Christ. We're all part of one body. So there's the tension. There are people, you're going to have a hard time believing this, there are people in the Philippian church that don't get along. 
There are people that are arguing in the church. What do we do about that? Well, that takes us to intention. Verses 4 through 7. These are things that we can do about this intention, but but about this tension, but we have to be intentional. We have to be consciously applying ourselves to these things. Okay? And and it, it, we'll see it, it's in all situations, but particularly when there's conflict. So the first thing he does is he says, rejoice. He says, take joy. Count this a blessing. Now, very few of us would count tension as a blessing, right? But remember what Paul's been setting up, okay? We're all part of one body. We're supposed to imitate Christ. Uh, we're, We're going to heaven together. Our citizenship is up there. So when these tensions occur, take joy. Rejoice in this because this is your opportunity to be like Christ. This is your opportunity to go against your nature. This is your opportunity to go contrary to the way the world would tell you to go and be like Christ. God is presenting you with an opportunity to be the gospel in this situation. So rejoice. Be joyful. And, and even, even as he says it, he, he realizes this might be a little bit of a shock to the Philippians who are trying to figure out what's going on with these two women. What do we do? This is tense. You know, people are starting to take sides. There's all sorts of things going on. And Paul says, rejoice. What do you mean, Paul? Rejoice? So he says, again, I say, rejoice. Just in case you didn't get it the first time, I'm going to tell you again, rejoice. Take joy. Let your and then, then he tells them how to rejoice over this. Number one, let your reasonableness, and you know, if we were going to apply this, we would say, let your gentleness, let your lenience be gentle with them. Be lenient with them. Don't judge them. Don't take sides. Don't try to figure out who's more right than the other. Be lenient. Tolerate. Let them come to an agreement. You come to an agreement with them. Don't insist that everybody think the same way on everything. It's okay if there's a difference in opinion. It's okay if they're having an energetic debate. We don't have to decide a winner. Be lenient. Allow that tension to exist and rejoice in it because it's going to give everybody an opportunity to be a reflection of Christ. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. Now, we've got a lot of Greek in this passage here. And I want to tell you, I have parsed the word everyone. It means everyone. And, you know, it's important to understand this because he's not talking about just the church. He's saying put this on display for the world to see. Let the community who's looking at you, this new church, it's growing, and now you've got a little bit of a problem, and the people around you are holding their breath to see how you're going to handle this. Show them Christ. Let everyone see the character and nature of your God rising up in your body. Let it be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. See, this is hard things. He's calling He's calling the church to do difficult things. Be gentle, be lenient, be reasonable. Rejoice in these things, okay? And then he says, the Lord is at hand. Now, what Paul means is that the Lord is not just near. 
I mean, we see that all the way in the New Testament, don't we? The kingdom is near, the kingdom is here, the kingdom is at hand, the Lord is near, the Lord is at hand. You know what it means? You know what a Jew would hear when he heard that? He said, not only that the Lord is near, but the Lord is ready to help. You see, the church doesn't have to do this on their own. They're citizens in heaven. They are indwelt by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit has enabled, remember we talked about that earlier, has enabled the church to do these things that Paul is calling them to do. Turn to the Lord. Don't use your own devices. Just do the things that you've been taught to do. The Lord is ready to help. Do not be anxious. Another pregnant word here. You know what it means? I mean, we all look at it and say, oh, don't, be, don't worry. And that's certainly a, a commandment, isn't it? But in, in this context here, in this form, it means don't brood. Don't sulk. Don't overthink this situation. Don't be preoccupied with it. Don't immerse yourself in it. You know, this is kind of like, don't listen to the 6 o'clock news. <laughs> okay? Don't let this dictate your mood. Don't let it dictate how you cooperate with each other. The way you handle this conflict in the church will be a reflection of the way you will handle your conflict out in the world. And your job is to show them Christ. Be lenient. Be reasonable. Don't get consumed by this. But in everything, now this is just like everyone, okay? Everything here means everything. He's not just talking about conflict here, but in everything by prayer and supplication, okay, we got that. We've been learning about prayer. We want to lift our prayer requests up to God. We want to go deeper in it, but it's okay to tell God what's on our hearts. It's okay to ask Him for our heart's desire, but by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. There's one of the keys right there. We don't just pray. We pray with thanksgiving for the situation that we're in. We thank God for what we are immersed in. It's uncomfortable. We'd like to get out of it. Paul says, lift it up to God in prayer and thank Him. Thank Him for what? Well, thank Him for the opportunity to show the world that you're different. Thank Him for that open door that stands in front of you that says we have been changed. We have been transformed. We have the Holy Spirit in us and we don't have to act like the world acts. So Paul says instead of worrying, instead of gossiping, instead of going from person to person to person to tell them our troubles and our struggles and get sympathy and generate some support to be thankful. Oh, yeah, this is great when we're talking about the two arguing women, isn't it? It's not so great when we're talking about our family. It's not so great when we're talking about us being one of the people that's arguing. Paul says apply this in everything so that everybody can see Christ in you. 
Why? Because our citizenship is in heaven. And we have glory waiting for us. Whatever we're going through is temporary. We're strangers in a strange land. We don't have to conform to what we see around us. We're already being conformed to what's in the heavenly. We do this. If we can do that, if we can concentrate on this, look at verse 7. The peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So if we can do this, the peace of God will guard our hearts and our minds. We don't have to be subject to it. Jesus said in John 14, when he described what he was bringing to the table, he said, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. I mean, what we're looking for, even in conflict, what we're really looking for, brothers and sisters, is peace. We're looking for some joy. We're looking for all of the tension to go away and for us to be able to find rest. So Paul says, when these things happen, rejoice. Be gentle. Be lenient. And the Lord will help us with that. And furthermore, if we focus on prayer, if we focus and, and determine to be thankful, he'll give us peace. You see, all those things, we need to be intentional in doing those. We can't just be led by our emotions. We can't just be led by the moment. We've got to have our eyes on Christ and these things that we're being called to do. But that's hard. Because it's easy to get consumed by our circumstances, isn't it? It's easy to get overwhelmed by it. So how do we, how do we become Intentional. Well, that takes us to the next passage, verses 8 and 9. We, we retain those things we've been told and those things we've been taught. Now, th th this is not overly complicated. We hold on to what we've been told. We hold on to what we've been taught. And we begin to apply it to our lives. He says in verse 8, finally, brothers, the unity's still there. Whatever is true, and what he means is whatever is upright, whatever is godly, whatever is honest, whatever is honorable, and this is, honorable is a combined, I love this, earthly and heavenly dignity. Uh, whatever has heavenly, earthly dignity. Uh, Spiro Zodiati says, whatever has a majestic attraction and an invitation into the divine nature. I love that. Whatever has an earthly attraction and heavenly invitation to the divine nature. Just ponder that for a while. Whatever is just, whatever is morally right, whatever is pure, and th this is simple, this one is whatever is holy, Whatever is lovely, whatever is acceptable and pleasing, whatever is commendable, praiseworthy, whatever is laudable, if there is any excellence, if there is any virtue, if there is any good character, if there is anything worthy of praise, think. He says, think. 
He puts all those things in front of us, and then he says, think. The word here is logizomai. Okay? And it's another word that has tremendously profound meaning. It means to assemble this in your mind. Put it all together. He said, I'm laying all this stuff in front of you. Now, bring it together. Bring it to bear on your situation. Let this occupy yourself. Immerse yourself in these things. Think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me. Think about those things that I've taught you. Think about those things you've seen in me. Think about those things that we're talking about right now. And then he says, practice. Again, there's athleticism here. There is devote yourself to this. Do it over and over again. Do it more and more until you strengthen those inner muscles, until you strengthen those, those spiritual attributes, until you get better and better at this. You might never be perfect at it, but you should be practicing this all the time. And this is practicing on an Olympian level. Be consumed by this. Be consumed by these things. Keep on doing these things until they become second nature. Do things so much until you're, you're absolutely exhausted of doing them and then start over. So it's it just ongoing motion here. It just never ends. Do this repeatedly. Exercise these things and the God of peace will be with you. See, we have to retain the things we've been taught. But we can't just retain them. We can't just be thinking about them. We have to practice them. We have to put them into motion. Consider this very carefully. You know, we are, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is commendable, whatever is excellent, whatever is worthy of praise, be consumed with these things. I mean, he might as well just say, be consumed with the character and nature of Christ. Because that's what they describe. We're being molded and shaped in his image. We're being conformed to him. We're being sanctified. Now, walk like him. But you have to practice. Don't let your mind dwell on the things that are opposite. Now, i got to be honest with you. I, you know, I told you, uh, Paul wrote this to the Philippian church. He started out with this encouragement. He loves the Philippian church. Um, I believe, brothers and sisters, this letter could just as easily have been written in the Warrington Bible Fellowship because I believe that we do a lot of these things really well. I, I, you, if I had the opportunity, it didn't sound so hokey, I would say you are, you are a crown to me. You are a blessing to me. We're, we're people of prayer. We're people of action. We're people of giving. We have learned these things. And, and most of us are trying to put them into practice and doing a pretty good job of it. So Paul is saying, we got a chance to go deeper. we got a chance to be even more profound. We got a chance to affect not just ourselves, but the people around us. I think Paul could have written this letter to us. We're that type of people. We understand some of the deeper things of God. Praise God. Amen? Okay? And we've done this together. But if we continue to practice them, if we continue to to put them into play, if we continue to exercise those spiritual muscles, then the God of peace will be with us. And that's what we're all looking for. So how do we handle tension? How do we handle disputes? 
We intentionally rejoice. We intentionally become thankful. We intentionally express gentleness and lenience. And we remember that we don't have to conjure this stuff up, that the Lord is at hand and ready to help us. Okay. Well, John, I, I'm still not quite sure how we practice these things. It, it just seems so contrary to my nature, contrary to what my heart is telling me to do. How, how do we do this? Well, we ponder them. We logizomai them. We think on them. And, and what, what does that look like? You know, I'll tell you what it looks like. When we're struggling, it's very easy to get consumed by the struggle, isn't it? I mean, it just keeps on going over and over in our mind. And we say things like, well, if I hadn't done that, or if they hadn't done this, this might not have happened, or this might happen over here, or that might happen over there. And so we're constantly consumed by the tension. And i got to tell you something, for the culture that we're in, it's very easy for us to get consumed by the tension outside and by the tension inside. Paul's saying don't be consumed by them. Don't think on those things. Now, we know there's some other scripture that tells us to take every thought captive. We know there's scripture that tells us not to be angry, right? I love the take every thought captive scripture. Because I can't capture the thought until I've had it. <laughs> I mean, some people think that just an admonition, don't think about those things. Don't think about that bad thing. Oh, I'm going to take that thought, Captain. I'm not going to think about that bad thing because that bad thing is really bothering me. And every time I think about that bad thing, it gets worse. And that bad thing's really bothering me even more now. And I'm trying not to think about it, but it's a bad thing, you know. Scripture says, don't be angry. Well, I don't even know I've got a problem with anger until I'm angry. <laughs> yeah, I can't say, oh, wait a minute, I'm about to get angry. It's already started to rise up in me. So, Paul's not saying, the Holy Spirit's not saying, don't think on these things. The Holy Spirit's not saying, stop getting angry. He's telling us what to do when those things rise up in us. And right here, Paul says, Redirect your thoughts. Here's how you take the thought captive. You start pondering the nature and character of Christ instead of pondering your problem. When you get angry, yeah, I, I mean, Ephesians says, don't be angry, comma, don't let the sun go down on your anger. Just get rid of it. Well, how do we get rid of it? I can't just stop being angry, okay? But if I do what Paul says here, I'll find the peace of God. If I start pondering, if I start legitimizing, if I start immersing myself in the blessings that I have and the thankfulness that I'm told to express and, and rejoicing the way I'm told to rejoice and thinking about all of those qualities that reflect Christ, I'll tell you something, a, a minute into that and your anger's gone and your tension is gone. God is good for His promises. He's given us the Holy Spirit to enable us to walk in them. So how do we handle these? We don't ponder them. We ponder Christ. So we walk around all day long pondering Christ. You know what that sounds like to me? Prayer. 
Yeah, it's not this, oh, oh, I'm going to spread my prayer cloth and get down on my knees and put my hands together and I'll just stay here all day because I'm supposed to pray without ceasing. It's walking around in an attitude of prayer, pondering Christ and putting aside all those things that would distract us from Christ and putting our minds on Him, putting our minds on things above. This is how Paul says pray without ceasing. We live the gospel. We don't just share it. We walk the gospel. We walk an attitude of prayer. We walk an attitude of following Christ, imitating Paul as Paul imitates Christ. Why? Because we're citizens in heaven. You think that that might be enough to handle the tension that we see in the outside world? I mean, what is the the, the solution to the tension that we see? I mean, we, we can enter the fray on the pipe guy or the shooter or whatever. We can enter into that fray, but the answer, brothers and sisters, is prayer and the gospel. Why? Because that's where the peace of God is. That's where our peace is. We set our eyes on eternity. We do what Paul tells us to do, and we find out that prayer can resolve any conflict, any conflict for everybody and for everything. Let's pray. Lord, we just thank you. Your wisdom is so great, so far beyond our understanding and expectations at time, yet at other times so simple. Father, you hit us with this complex situation and tell us that the answer is simple to keep our minds set on Christ. So we pray that we would remember that you are near, Father. You are at hand and ready to help us, Lord, to usher us through it. And that as we exercise those things that you've given us to do, that we become more proficient in using them to your honor and your glory. In Jesus' name.